Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message from Evangelist Ben Fitzgerald. Thanks, thanks. Hey, um, you can sit and it's fine. I'm going to actually invite up some of our team. We have our whole Awakening Europe team here now, which is amazing. They're all up here in the front. Um, Dylan, why don't you come and share real quick with us? We're going to talk this morning about God's highest priority. Who was here two weeks ago when I preached about the expectancy? Who was here then? Okay, good. So we're going to follow up on that, and we're going to talk today about God's highest priority. Dylan, why don't you come up and share real quick? This is Dylan Long. He's our, our, <laughs> he's our outreach coordinator for Awakening Europe and Awakening Australia. Good morning. Do you like who you're sitting next to? Some of you weren't sure, but that's okay. Never mind. I just want to share quickly, I grew up my whole life in the church, so often when you hear an evangelist speak, it's hard to relate to them because it's easy to use the excuse of like, well, I don't have a testimony like you or, or I grew up in the church, it's different for me. And my whole life, all I can remember is being on the front row of church, every three or four weeks responding to an altar call to get saved. And at one of them, it was real for me and eventually I got saved, one of the multiple altar calls. But for so long, I grew up in the church and 18, 19 years and I, even the whole time being in church, I never actually knew, nobody told me that it was normal for a Christian to share the gospel. Nobody told me it was normal for a Christian to walk in the supernatural. And when I moved to America when I was 18, suddenly God put people in my life, one of them was Ben, who, who I'd just hang out with and we, we'd just be going to the supermarket. And I'm like, okay, we're gonna go buy some kombucha. I love kombucha. But on the way to kombucha, somebody's getting healed. And I'm like, God, kombucha and healing, this has to be revival. Like it doesn't get better than this. And suddenly I was like, God, I've been missing out on Christianity. Like to me, Christianity was attending church. And if I was a real Christian, I would raise my hands and worship. And then I had made it. But now suddenly I see that I have access to actually people getting healed and preaching the gospel. And that's normal Christianity. But the problem for me was I still believed that God made me shy right? God didn't make me bold. God made me shy. I can't share the gospel. So I got into my room and I was like, God, I need your help. And that's a great prayer to pray because the Holy Spirit's called a helper for a reason. He's also called a comforter and you don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. So, So I'm like, Holy Spirit, help me. I need help. And after two or three weeks of seeking God in the secret place, the Holy Spirit asked me a question that literally changed everything for me. After he asked me this question, I went from never sharing on the streets to doing it every day. And it literally also was one question in the secret place. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, what's more important to you? People's opinions of you or their eternity? And that day I realized there was no condemnation. There was no shame when it came. But the Holy Spirit was simply saying to me, what are your priorities in your life? And that day I just realized that without even knowing it, my priorities were all wrong. That every day when I'd walk through the supermarket, people's opinions of me were a higher priority than than their eternity to me. And that day I realized I just made a choice that I'm going to make the priority in my life, people getting saved, people meeting Jesus. And yes, it was a journey overcoming the fear of man. But I want to encourage all of you today to start that journey. Would you make that a priority in your life? It's not about a personality type. The Bible doesn't say that a deep personality is as bold as a lion. It says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. So boldness comes from an understanding of righteousness, not a personality type. 
As you focus on who you are in Christ, I'm not Ben, Sharice. She just said, amen, Ben, Sharice. But as you focus, as you focus on who you are in Christ, that's when righteousness comes. I mean, that's when boldness comes. The righteous are as bold as lions. So if you struggle with boldness, I would encourage you to focus on who you've become in Christ because that's when boldness is produced. Amen. Ben? Amen. That's a good word. Who believes that? Amen. That's good. All right, guys, we're going to talk about the reason why we're bold like that. And the reason is people. You're sitting here for a reason, right? The reason why you're sitting in this room is because God wanted you here, which means someone paid a price for you to be here. Someone prayed for your soul. Someone cared about your life. Someone cared enough to say hello excuse me. And you know, all of heaven celebrates, not when we get a perfect word of knowledge or, but they all celebrate when you just say, excuse me. Heaven just over the banisters are like, yay. When someone just says, excuse me and talks to someone about God. And the reason why you're here is because someone stopped you or someone prayed for you. Most of us are sovereignly saved in the sense that God sovereignly places in someone's heart to share the good news with us. And the Lord calls us in the spirit. It's not the work of man, but it's the work of the spirit. But in the process of that, God gives partnership to man, which means most of you are here because someone prayed for you. A lot of you, probably 70 to 80% of you are here because your mother prayed for you. And father, I sometimes say praying mothers, but you know what? It's also praying fathers. And, uh, and some of you are here for that reason. So this morning, before we do Awakening Australia, I want to teach and talk about the value of a human soul to Jesus. And I think it's vitally important we understand that humanity is eternal they are immortal in the sense of we will not die, we will not perish, but we'll live in the afterlife. But we get to choose the afterlife. And I want to share that with you. And if you're in this room this morning and you don't believe in God, then this will be something you can just think about. And just maybe open your heart up to what I'm saying. Maybe some of these things will make sense to you in the light of your own life. So Jesus came, right? And we know that Jesus came to seek and save. What did he come to seek and save? The lost people. Do you think that humanity in the state that it's in right now is saved, is free, and is whole? Not really, right? One in every two people right now are divorcing. There's people even in Christianity, in the church, and that's why often people say, our oh, Christianity is full of hypocrites because there's people in the church that live in sin and that misrepresent Jesus and look like the world or look like adulterous or stealing money and all that kind of stuff. People know that about Christianity because people are people. People aren't whole without God. You can even have fake Christianity that just displays again the sin nature of man. So some people believe that we don't have a sin nature, that humans for the most part are good. That was very strange, sorry. I just felt someone touch me on the shoulder, on my left shoulder. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. That was a bit strange. Hello. <laughs> Good to meet you. I literally just felt something on my shoulder. Sorry. Um, humanity, nothing fell on me there, did it? Yeah. What do you want to do? He just said, keep preaching. Okay. <laughs> I don't know whether that was a, an angel or what, just something, or maybe it was my jacket. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say for sure it was a person or an angel, sorry, but something felt like it moved on my shoulder then. Sorry. Um, it's a bit distracting. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the Lord cares so much about the lost. And that's why Jesus, the number one priority of Him coming to earth was people. He didn't come to earth to establish His physical kingdom rule and reign. The Israelites believed in an Isaiah 9 king. 
They believed in a king that would come back, rule and reign over the earth, that he, his glory and eminence would shine out of Mount Zion, out of the new Jerusalem. They believed that he would physically come and make his reign on the earth. And because of that, they missed their Messiah. They didn't understand the first reign of God is not in physical things. It's not, God doesn't just want to reign over plastic or over bricks and mortar. The first reign of God has to be found in the human heart. Because how many of you understand, you can build the the best city, the best nation in the whole world, and you can have the greatest laws, but the heart will still be wicked. There's no way to cleanse the heart of man except by Jesus Christ. And so he came to seek and save that which is lost. In Christianity, they've done studies. The Barnard Group at Institute did studies. And they found out that 96% of Christians do not lead a single soul to Christ. They might tell occasionally someone about God, but 96% of believers do not have that as their number one or even number three priority in their life. They have it somewhere else. And so the Bible warns us and Jesus warns us about being nearsighted, which he actually talks about even close to blindness when you're nearsighted. When you're nearsighted, all you think about is what's happening tomorrow? What's happening in my life? What's happening with my boss? He's angry at me. I need to pay this bill. I need to do this thing. And nearsightedness creates self-centeredness. It creates a life where we think and look about our own way and our own self. And God warns that if we keep that nearsightedness too often and don't look at Him, His priorities about people, we become close to blind. Why would we be blind? Because we're blind to God's priorities. If we're blind to His priorities, it means we are blind because no one sees greater than Jesus. So if you don't see like He sees, it means you're pretty blind. I know that because I've prayed to God, God, I feel like I'm blind. And I know why I was praying that prayer. I'm like, I feel like my priorities are changing. I'm very self-focused, introspective in this season rather than focus on people you love, rather than caring about what you care about. And sometimes the problem that you're dealing with in your own life is actually direct, that the breakthrough you need is directly connected to selfishness. So if you you feel like I need a breakthrough in this area with, with relationships and you're trying to fix everything, sometimes to take your eyes off the situation and look at where Jesus is looking actually fixes your situation. I, I know it. It's happened to me so many times. It's probably happened to you too, where you've tried for years to do something in, in your strength that just doesn't seem to break. But then the minute you begin to worship God and begin to adore the Lord and speak to the Lord in a different way, uh, you begin to see things differently. That thing breaks. It's like when people come and they say to me, look, Ben, God's not speaking to me. I haven't heard God. And I'm like, well, have you read your Bible? You know, do, do you, have you changed your perspective? Or are you just trying to hear God in one way? Or have you looked at God's way? Where's He looking? What's He doing? Maybe it was that maybe it was that your life was headed this way and you used to share Jesus and let your light so shine among men that you weren't blind. A Pharisee, the, the reason why they're blind, they're dead in their spirit is because they said a lot and did a little. And we need to be the people that do a lot and say little. But they said, oh, this, 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 and this, and that and about God, and they did nothing. And God called them a whitewashed tomb. And Jesus said, you blind Pharisees. They were blind. On the outside, they're like this in the temple. They're all worshiping God. They look very spiritual, but they were so blind because they didn't care about people. They wouldn't look where God was looking. They only looked about themselves. What do I look like with this long robe on? What do I look like when I pray in front of people? What, what, what kind of merit can I attain from God if I pray a little longer than the next guy? Oh, did you hear that the Chinese church pray six hours? Oh, but we had an eight-hour prayer meeting. Do you know that kind of competitiveness is absolute nonsense? God cares nothing about those kind of statements. He cares if you know His heart. If you don't know God's heart, then you don't know God. 
If you don't have a heart for what He cares about, then it means you don't understand His the closeness of what Jesus can be in your heart yet. And God's not condemning us. God is not harsh toward us. God, in fact, is the remover of blind eyes. You look at Isaiah 35. He's the one who creates a highway of light. And He, he gets that blindness out of our heart, that misdirection, and begins to put us back on the path of Jesus. Because Jesus ultimately was saying one thing, follow me, right? Follow where I go, you go. Come to me. They're the most profound statements in the New Testament. The come to me and follow me is of Jesus. There's many of them. But He's saying that because wherever He goes, there is light. The path of God is always the way of Jesus. It's never the way of you and Jesus a little bit. It's always God's way. And God's first priority, the reason why heaven should come to earth, the reason why a nation would be saved and changed and transformed is a person. Number one priority. It cannot be number eight. Well, let's say you're called to politics. We know a lady, we're gonna pray for her. She's a lovely lady. She's called to one of the major seats of politics here in this city. And that's her call. But Ben, she's not as much a soul winner. What about her? Is she missing God's priority in God's heart? No, not at all. Because what she's doing is she's influencing people toward God by godly values. But if she just if she just influences people, like we're gonna change the law and make it illegal to throw a cigarette on the ground, I don't know. Like they're gonna, we're gonna make it better so it's healthier and cleaner. Those things are nice. And those things add to the overall tapestry of a better earth. They add to it. But if she did that and just worked on the little branch out here and, and made some part of society better without having an understanding inside her of the vine, of what he thinks about people and never brought the good news to people, then all that she does for her whole life, all that someone does, all their ambition is worth nothing because there's no one in heaven behind them. And I want you and God wants you and God wants me to walk into heaven. And as we walk into heaven, into the throne of grace, we turn around and there's thousands of people behind us, not behind one of us, behind each of us. That's possible. That is really possible that thousands of people would come to faith because of your life. Now, it takes a priority shift though. It does take a shift in, in the way we see things. I wanna read to you a few scriptures here and, and um, I wanna talk about, as I'm talking now about the human soul, about what it's worth to God. You know, when God talks about the shepherds, those people who cover the, the flock of God, who speak to the flock of God, He talks about, there's a particular, very peculiar scripture in Ezekiel where God is rebuking different types of priests. And God in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, talks about a Zadok priesthood, what they call the Zadok priests. Priests who are really pure, like innocent priests. And they, they feed God's people with truth, not with half-truths, not with lies, not with what's self-centered. Some of the Levite priests did that. They would they'd just tell people to give and give and give. And they were talking about feeding their own soul. And God rebuked them really harshly. But one thing the Lord rebuked when He rebuked a bad shepherd in the Old Testament, He always reflected it with what's a good shepherd, what's a right shepherd. In fact, the title of this in Ezekiel 34 is the good shepherd. So it's kind of prophetic of Jesus coming. But I'll just read this to you. It says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherds, nor did the shepherds search for my flock. Search. But the shepherds fed themselves and didn't feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. I am against you and I'll require this of your own hand. I'll cause you to cease from feeding my sheep. The shepherds shall feed themselves no more and for, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food. So God was saying to the shepherds, He's like, you guys are telling people what to do, but you don't search for anyone. You try and feed, you, you go and tell them, oh, you should do this. You should do that. 
But God rebuked these wicked shepherds because He's like, you talk, 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 but you don't search. You don't care for the lost, broken person. You don't have any heart in you to go and search for a person who's a lost sheep. Jesus, called the good shepherd, says He leaves the 99 in search for what? One. So He leaves the majority in search for a minority. God leaves what we would call as a major importance. Oh, but the church is growing. We've got to work on the building fund, all that stuff. God knows all that stuff and it's all important and it seems big, but it's just as big to God to leave all of that for a moment and find one. And you need to have that understanding in your heart. I need to have that understanding in my heart. I can never be too big that I think I belong up here all the time. I can never be too big that I don't get these hands near brokenness. Healing power is meant for the broken. It's not meant for the healed. And that's what Jesus said He was called to. And, and we're all called to that. And we're all called to somebody who's hurting. We're all called to our unsaved brother's salvation. That's the target that we're pointing at. If it's not, it means everything else we give them is temporary. So, so why would I, if I'm gonna expend my energies and my time in life and where I put my focus, if I put my focus on only things that are temporal, that can give that can give maybe some kind of temperance change, like three months change or can, can better somebody. If I only put my life there and my focus there and I never focus it on eternity, then I've wasted myself or my energies and my strength for something that will not last and eventually will cause the same problem. And the problem is that they'll face death and they'll face judgment because I didn't do anything. But Ben, you're not the Savior. I understand that. But Ben, you're not the one who, well, then why did God tell me to go? Why did God say in Romans chapter 10, how shall they know unless someone preaches? And how shall they preach unless someone sent? We are sending you. And now I'm not sending you out to the street necessarily to do street ministry. That's not what I'm talking about. You might be a politician in here. You might be a billionaire in here. You're still sent. But Ben, I feel like I'm sent to the business world. You are. But what are you sent to? Are you sent to have a billion dollars in the bank so you can go praise you God for a billion dollars? What's, what's money in a bank? All that is is a resource. Whether you have small, little, less, it doesn't matter. Money that I could teach on money, man, I, I want to so badly sometimes because I, I just see the way people view finances. One day I'll teach on that to you guys because I love our house. And I will, I will share on, on how much we stupidly view money versus how God views it as a tool of faith. It's very, very simple to God. But anyway, we'll go back to Jesus, help me. All right. If you, if you have a billion dollars in the bank and that billion dollars does some good things to a country, and blesses it, maybe. And it's very important to have clean water, those things, that natural ecology of, of a nation is extremely important. But if you do those things and your own, in, your best number two employee, the two I see of your corporation, is an atheist his whole life and will never engage in conversation with you. And when you drive home from work in the Mercedes or whatever and you drive to a mansion, you have no mind at all for his salvation because you're thinking about how many more little notes can go in that bank vault. <laughs> You're building something temporal, not something eternal. Do you know Jesus was a billion, trillion, trillion billionaire? It says the streets of heaven are paved with gold. It says all the nations, all the, all the nations of Kadesh and Cush. And if, you, if you read Isaiah 45, it says all the treasures of the riches of the, the world come to Him. They're all just, they're being sucked to Him. People will come. When He was born out of the womb, they gave Him approximately, people have done studies on this, approximately $400 million. That's how much those kings gave Him. That's the approximate studies that Dr. Peter Daniels did with his whole team. $400 million. 
Isn't that, that's a lot of money. Let's say that that, that study was wrong. Because when I heard that, Peter Daniel said he hired people for three years to study this. And they found out how much the gold, silver, the, myrrh, the frankincense and myrrh was worth. Let's say it was less. Let's say it was even a million. At, at the, the conception of his birth, riches were drawn to him. Did he ever talk about for the next 33 years how he needs to build up riches in this life? No, he didn't because that was coming to him. Because the fruit and result of you being in the will of God and following what God's heart is, is riches and wealth. The fruit and the result of you being you following the lost soul that Jesus cares about is God's prosperity because you're walking where He walks. You can never ever not prosper when you walk where Jesus walks. So if God sends you to the business realm and He's storing up that wealth for you, what you need to understand in the midst of that is your second employee, 2IC, is more important to God in some cases. That he, that's the one versus the 99 million in the bank. That's the one that He wants to save. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, He, he will make a new heaven and a new earth. But people He can't remake. Maybe that didn't hit you. God can make a new earth. He can make a new heaven. He can make a new system of living for humanity. He can judge the enemy, throw him in prison for a thousand years, rule and reign on the earth, but he can't make a human being the same person again. God can't. He's not a reincarnator. God makes each individual out of the, the, the perfect expression of his thoughts comes every individual. And that individual, because it came from the thoughts of God, you, you came from the thoughts of God, the way you'd look. It says in Genesis 1.27, you were created in His image. In the image of God, He made them. The word image and likeness in the Hebrew is different to just like you look like God. It talks about the faculties of your nature. He made you to be one with Him. He never made a second you. Which means once you perish and once the judgment is final over your life, there's no second chance. Jesus isn't going into hell to try and, you know, on some rescue mission. He died on the cross as the mission. So uh, we have people in our life who are friends of ours who are governors. We have people in our life who are friends of ours who are just a tradie businessman. We have people who are single moms and friends. And we have all those people, different expressions of life. And they're all beautiful. They're all good. And they're all important. That's not what I'm saying is that these things are not important. But whenever those things, those little branches become greater than the root, we have a problem. And in, in right now in the church, the worldwide church, I'll say, there's a few societies and a few different nations that are leading the charge in winning people to God. One of them was the Chinese underground church, as you know. They were leading 30,000 people a week to Jesus Christ. That's a lot. There's approximately 400 people in this congregation. Can you imagine if we just won one person this next 12 months? What would happen? Well, Ben, look at the outcome. There'd be 800 people in here. We'd, have, we'd need a bigger building. That's not the point. The point is your brother would be saved. The point is your brother would be redeemed. And the secondary point is, yes, we'd need a bigger building. But the point is that person who's so precious to you and so precious to God would be eternally set free. I'm so thankful my mom prayed for me. I think about this and I say, God, all the time, I'm like, God, thank you for choosing me to be saved. Thank you for hearing my mother's prayers. I can't believe you would even give me this chance to know you the way I know you, God. What a gift. What a gift of knowing God. Lord, I, I remember sitting there full of shame, full of self-hatred, thinking I, I want to kill myself, how dark I, I, I used to see myself and just disgusted by what I was living in and, and doing. And you thought that was somehow valuable. My mom thought that was valuable. She thought it was worth fighting for. God thinks you're worth fighting for because you're here. But He also thinks your family is. God rebuked the wicked shepherds. They wouldn't search for the flock. 
They just wanted the pulpit. They just wanted to teach everybody. When the flock would go astray, they didn't care. He rebuked them in Ezekiel. You wicked flock. Now, some people say, but Ben, a soul, you know, people look happy. How do we really know eternity is eternity? If you read the book of Jude and it looks at, looks at the statements about heaven and hell, the word eternal life there in the Greek, because people try and twist this up, the Koinonian Greek explains that word as eternal life as an age without a break, no break in it. So in other words, it's forever. I don't want anybody to go to hell forever. Do you? Of course you don't. I'll read one more verse of Scripture. It's in Psalm 49, verse 7. I'll just read from verse 6 down. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother. Not one dollar can get someone out of hell, but Jesus can. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, not one of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give a ransom for him. Let me show you why this is so precious that God would say this. For the redemption of their souls is costly. Costly. Do you know, there's nothing more valuable on earth to God than a person. Nothing. The trees will give praise. They'll all worship the, the leaves. They all pray. The little birds, we don't hear it, but they chirp. They, they all praise God. It says Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But there's nothing more valuable on earth than a person, than your unsafe sister. Their riches shall cease. The redemption of their souls is costly. It shall cease forever that, they should continue, that he should, a person, continue, continue to live eternally and not see the pit. So if they don't see the pit, it means they got saved. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person also perish. They leave their wealth to others, but the inner thought of their heart is that their houses will last forever. And their dwelling places will last forever. How many of you understand that the world isn't thinking about forever? They're just thinking about today. We got a new house. This will last forever. That's what they think. That's what people believe. Our job as believers is to shine light on that veil. That veil says like, it goes around like this with a big smile and it's completely blind. Oh, I'm doing really well. Car crash. Oh, I'm doing so good in life. Cancer hits. It's a, it's a blindness. Humanity is blind without the light of God shining on their conscience. But our job, Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works. What's a good work of God? Oh, I have a soup kitchen. That is a good work. Or oh, look, I put a couple of bricks on my friend's house. That is a good work because all of that kind of shining, wherever you shine Jesus and, and do something with unselfish motives or pray a little longer and put at the top of your prayer priority list, people's soul. Wherever you do that good work and begin to shine, people can begin to see. And that's the point. I want people to see. God died, hey champion, God died for people. See this little man? God died for him. Jesus made him. He's so cute and innocent. It's easier to see the value of his soul sometimes it is than your unsaved 45-year-old brother because he's cute and innocent and he's, and he's little and you can see like, look how beautiful he is. Who wouldn't want him saved? But then when you see your 45-year-old angry brother with wrinkles on his forehead, maybe it's a little different. But God still sees him that way. And God wants us as a church in this awakening Australia to adopt the heart of the Lord for people. You can't let yourself become blind to souls. You can't. If you do, 
you become blind to the priorities of God. If you don't see your unsaved sissy or brother, if you don't see him as unsaved, it means that you're probably not seeing who God is. And God wants to just, this morning, He wants to shine that veil over your heart like He wants to remove it from you so that you can begin to feel again. It's important for us to feel toward people, to have compassion. Like what's the point of coming to church Sunday and Wednesday for my whole life, going to my job if my family goes to hell? What's the point? I did nothing for eternity. Nothing is eternal. I so admire the the Australian man, Arthur Stace. Do you know who he is? He wrote the word eternity on all the streets of Sydney. Do you remember that? In the year 2000, when it was um, New Year's Eve, they put eternity on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Do you remember that, you guys? That was so prophetic that they did that. They said he wrote that millions of times. He wrote in chalk every morning, get up at six o'clock, walk around Sydney. He'd write 500 times on street corners all over Sydney, the word eternity in chalk. People walking down the street that stop eternity. Two streets later, eternity. Just to get people to think, 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 think. What's forever mean? He paid some kind of a price. Same thing happened with the George Street. You know that man in, in King's Cross, the George Street evangelist. He thought he'd never seen anybody saved. 74 years of age, he believed he'd failed God because he'd walk out the front of his milk bar, stop people who were there for prostitutes, often tourists in King's Cross, and he'd say, excuse me, and give him a little track and say, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And he said he never saw one person turn around and let him pray for them. Some people would say, I believe I'd go to heaven. They'd give him an answer. Other people just get angry and walk away, throw the thing on the ground, 74 years of age. He found out through one man who came back to him and found out that he, that man got saved through him, that there was around 30,000 people that had been born again as a result of his life. 30,000. He will walk into heaven and be like, who are all these people? It's worth sowing that seed. I'm sorry I'm so passionate about this, but it's worth it. When you put in your prayer life as a priority, God, my unsaved sister is a priority of my prayer life. You can still be a billionaire. I'll support you. I'll pray that you make billions. You can still have a Ferrari. God doesn't care if you have 10 Ferraris if He has your priorities. He doesn't care. He cares about you knowing His heartbeat. In Awakening Australia, the heartbeat of God is first and foremost this, people that do not know Him. We are not going to a conference to attend. We are going to bring our strength to a historic moment. It's not a conference. It's a moment in history. We're bringing our strength. And I pray today for you. I want to pray that this veil is ripped off you and that you'd have the guts inside your heart just to invite someone. Sharice, can you give me one of those uh, tickets, please? Thank you so, so much. I might have one up here, actually. Forgive me. I might have one here. Yeah, I do. Okay. These tickets. We're going to give out these this morning. They just say, they've got Todd's face. They say, I was shot nine times, but I lived. That's all it says, come and hear why. It doesn't say anything sponsored by ACC, nothing like that. It says no Christian easy stuff at all. It just says this, we're gonna give these to you, but we, I'm praying that you, when you take this, you'll just go, God, who is it I'm supposed to give, us to give this to? Leave it on the mantle of your bedroom for three, four days until you feel who the person is that you wanna give this to. And we've got other ones that just have Nick Vujicic on there. It says no legs, no arms, no legs, no worries. And it just says, bring your friends. We know that people will be saved. We've seen it over and over in Europe. People will be born of God. But if we don't make this a priority, watch this. How were you saved? Um, My mother. Oh, mama. Yeah, and a friend. Mama and a friend. 
They prayed for you. What did the friend do? She brought me here. To this church? To this church, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect person to pick. Someone brought you here? Yep. How long have you been saved for? Um, under two years. <laughs> under two years. Come on. Mama was praying. Friend brought her here. Oh, that was all. That's all. And then amazingly, Jesus was able to do the rest. <laughs> See how easy it is? We don't even have to play a major role. We just have to play a simple role. How did you get saved? Uh, had an encounter with, with God. Amen. Did anyone ever tell you about Jesus? Yeah, my sister. She was born again first. and she praying for you? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, so. Now you're here, Tony. I'm so thankful for Tony because now every day, you know what he does? He tells people about Jesus. How did you get saved? My wife was praying for me for many, many years. Oh, another one. Can you believe it? God seems to do it. He seems to be doing this. Pray for, prayed for, prayed for. Why was your wife, is she right here? Why were you praying for your husband? Because he needed it. <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Is there, you, you obviously didn't want him to be in darkness. I didn't want to, um, my husband to go to hell. I wanted to be there with him one day, just like he now. You wanted to be in heaven with him one day. And they're already, they've already got heaven in them today. All three of these people, I bet you there's more. I can just point to anybody. Were you saved through your mother? A taxi driver told you about Jesus. Okay. Someone prayed for you? Mother. Mother. Mama. Mamas are good. Why am I trying to emphasize the point so heavily? Is so you understand so deeply how easy it is for us to pull on the heartstring of God toward humanity. If you would put at the top of your priority list people's souls and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, He will. He will save them. And so in the foyer today, these these free tickets, we're asking you to take one or two each and please bring somebody to the, the Marvel Stadium uh, it's only in two weeks' time or three weeks' time. So please bring somebody. We're going to hit this same thing next week, but we want you to bring someone. So I want to pray for you really quick before we do communion. We're going to do communion. I'm going to get Chloe to come up and do communion with me. And uh, we're going to serve you all communion. And we have to do it fast. That's my fault. It's about 20 past, I think. Is that right? Is it 20 past? Yep. So I just want to pray. Would you stand, please? I want to pray, so please put your hand on your heart. I want to pray that God would remove any veil from you that doesn't see the lostness of people, that doesn't see it, that it's not present in our thinking. I pray that it would become present in your thinking. Father, first and foremost, Lord, we ask you as a corporate family, would you save every one of our family members? We ask that as an agreement in prayer, Lord. We pray that every single person in our family would be saved. We're asking that as, a, as your family here in Fire Church. We agree, yeah? And then Father, we know the price of their souls was costly. It cost Jesus everything. And God, because you paid that price, we know that that means it's your highest priority. And I pray that this veil and haze of familiarity over people's heart and mind toward the unsaved would be broken. 
We command that thing that, that stops us from praying for them, that makes us pray for a thousand of our own needs and none of the needs of our unsaved friends. We command that haze, that, that veil to leave. And I pray for grace to hit you, for grace to love them. I pray grace would hit your spirit right now and that God would enlarge the territory of your heart toward people who don't know Him, that they would see your face, Jesus, in their face that they would see and feel Your love, Lord, in their life. And God, I pray that every stream of society, whether it be the, the, the nurse in here, in the medical field, the business field, the teaching field, everywhere they go, that they'd shine light, Jesus. We pray for that, Father. And we ask You in the Marvel Stadium that these free tickets would be like glue, that when we give them to somebody, they would not be able to put them down. They would not be able to deny the invitation. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this and other resources and information, go to our website, firechurch.com.au.